0: There's a very specific reason I called it the experience mindset. It literally is a mindset shift that if you're going to do something for the customer, you consider what are the implications to the employee.
1: Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing. Happy. Happy. Each week. We interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 144. Today, we're discussing what it means to have an experience mindset. And a big part of this conversation is around strengthening customer experience through a great employee experience. Our guest this week is Tiffany Bova, a sales innovation evangelist at Salesforce and keynote speaker. She's also the author of multiple books and recently released The Experience Mindset, which is what a lot of our interview today is about. I actually saw her speak not too long ago at a KUKA event. Listeners of this show should be familiar with that robotics company. They hosted a great executive event in Marco Island, Florida, where I was emceeing. And Tiffany was the keynote speaker, and I immediately knew she needed to be on this podcast when I heard her speak and talk about customer success. So here are a few things you can expect from today's episode. First, we're going to cover some of the basics around customer experience and employee experience and how they relate to one another. Second, you're going to hear some specific examples as to some companies that are excelling at this experience mindset and how you can too, plus some pitfalls to avoid. Finally, we're going to hear some lessons that Tiffany learned as she was writing and researching for her book. As always, if you want to learn more, make sure to check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 144. There you can find a link to connect with Tiffany, find a link to her new book. I highly recommend checking that out. And by the way, stick around to the end of the episode because I have a few more thoughts to share around customer experience, largely based on some of the lessons I've learned from Tiffany even before doing this interview. Before we get rolling, my one call to action for you is if you learn something new from this episode, hey, share your biggest takeaway around customer experience, employee experience in a short post on LinkedIn with a link to this episode. Doesn't need to be long, but if you learn something, I'm sure other people will too. So, hey, put that out there on LinkedIn. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 144 will take people straight to this episode. With that, let's meet up with Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, it's great to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. This is one of my favorite types of interviews to do where, you know, I, I didn't necessarily know who you are until I saw you keynoting at an event. We were both at KUKA Connections in April 2023 and on Marco Island, Florida, and I was listening to your your presentation around customer success, and I'm just like, this is a topic we have to cover on Manufacturing Happy Hour. So, Great to have you here. Excited to have you on the show.
0: No, thanks, Chris. I'm I'm glad our quick conversation in the hall turned into this.
1: Absolutely. And in manufacturing happy hour fashion, we like to have these conversations, you know, as if we're having a beverage at the conference happy hour, if you will. So let's say you're hanging out at an event that you're speaking at in Marco Island, for example, and someone asks you, hey, what does it mean to have an experience mindset? How do you answer that as if you're having a beverage with someone?
0: Well, it depends who the person is, right? But you know, without coming up with too many reasons why I can't ask, answer that quickly, I would say the following: Usually, executives uh, understand customer experience. So I'll say something like, "Hey, at your company, are you focused on customer experience? Is the customer is sort of your focus on the decisions you make?" And the majority of the time they'll say yes." I'll say, fantastic. Do you feel the same way, and do you put the same effort into?" Your employees. And, you know, usually they'll be like, of course, right? Like, of course we do that. Why wouldn't we do that? Like, our people are very important to us. And I'll say, well, interestingly enough, we did sort of this global research over the course of about two years, and we found that while executives will say eight out of 10 times, you know, employees are super important to us, in the end, they say, but it's customer above all else. And so, even though the intention is to take care of employee, Uh, we unfortunately see companies over-pivot to customer, which leaves the employee behind. So the experience mindset was to be much more intentional about finding a better balance, not a 50-50, but a better balance between what you do for customer versus what you do for employee and how you can be uh, better at doing those two things uh, so that you can enjoy the growth that you get from doing them both right.
1: Yeah, and, and that's really the theme of our conversation today. And, and my next question puts just a, a slightly different spin on the comments you made is, why do we always seem to try to improve customer experience? What feels like at the expense of employee experience?
0: Yeah, I, I, look, I have been talking about the power of customer experience for a long time. There's, there's a lot of us who have been. And it was all the way back in 2008 where we made a prediction uh, prior to working at Salesforce. I was a research fellow at Gartner. And we made a prediction that the chief marketing officer would spend more on technology than the chief information officer. And if you're a medium or small business, you may not have those chief roles, but, you know, spend more on um, who was making the decisions to spend that. So was it your marketing person or was it your technical team? And people thought we were crazy when we said it because mind you, this is now, you know, 14, 15 years ago, that it wasn't about the technology as much as we believed that customer experience was going to be where brands would compete. And so once that started to happen and the digital economy kind of really started to gain momentum, I mean, I still think there's lots of improvement we need to do, but we started to gain momentum. That experience layer, specifically online and with apps, was critically important. And it was almost like this over pivot. Like we are going to reduce the effort for our customer to do business with us. 10 clicks on a website, one click on a website, right? Like something that basic. Unfortunately, in reducing the effort for the customer, we unintentionally increase the effort for our employees. And so it wasn't wrong to do what we did for customer. By the way, it was, I think, completely correct. But what we did there was we set up KPIs, right, or key performance indicators and metrics. We tied executive compensation to customer experience scores like something like net promoter or customer satisfaction. There was a lot of maturity put into making sure we did right by the customer. That same level of rigor has not gone into employee. And because of that, right, the KPIs, the tied to executive compensation, Because those things aren't in place, guess what happens? It's less of a focus. So I I think that those are some of the reasons why we find ourselves in this position. And then the pandemic shined a really big, massive spotlight on the lack of investments we've made towards employees uh, over the past decade or two, uh, you know, just by the nature of the great resignation and quiet quitting.
1: You know, intuitively, that makes perfect sense the compensation KPIs drive performance. And I think realizing that pandemic makes it very easy to see, hey, where are all these challenges for the employee experience when they're remote? It just amplifies some of the things that may have already been a challenge in person. And now you you take that all remotely as well. So that that makes sense to me. I have a bit of a personal question then. When you started getting into employee experience, customer experience, what, what struck you first? Were you Did you get into customer experience first and then start realizing, oh, there's this employee experience segment I need to be paying attention to? I'm curious what your intro into this space was and how you started finding that balance.
0: Oh, I, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> what happened was uh, I wrote my first book called Growth IQ. It was 10 paths to growth. The very first path was customer experience. Customer first, customer centricity, that's the way to go. And I quickly mentioned the role employee plays in delivering those experiences. And hey, don't forget about your employees when you're sort of designing these amazing customer experience journeys or something like that. And then I went on to nine other paths. I did not talk about employee again. And that was a huge miss. Came to Salesforce about seven and a half years ago and I was standing on stage and I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence. Salesforce is a great place to work one of the, globally, pretty much. If it's not number one, it's in the top five. Uh, one of the most innovative companies in the world and the fastest growing enterprise software company. I felt there was some connection there. And so I went to our CMO at the time and I said, hey, can I go try and prove this out? Like, I'm not the first to say it. Happy employees make better, you know, and happier customers. And You get those two things, right? You know, you grow, your shareholders are happy. Uh, I am not the first to say that. little asterisks here. I am also not an HR expert. I'm not an employee expert. I'm not a people expert in that way. I'm focusing in on the moment that matters when an employee touches a customer with the products they design, the websites, the UIs they design, a call center agent, a sales rep, a field service agent, a development or, you know, uh, implementation or installation team, anybody that is in front of the customer at that moment that matters. That's The experiences I'm talking about. There are lots of things, pay, comp, DE and I, that are extremely important, not in this conversation though. So I just kind of want to make that caveat. So, lo and behold, on the other end of that quick conversation with our CMO, we went through two years of research and I, I think we're one of the first to really show that causation and direct correlation between pieces and parts of the employee experience having an incredible impact on the customer experience. And it opened my eyes. And so now I'm having conversations, by the way, that in the 25 years I've been in business and in tech and running sales service and customer success or customer service organizations, while I was a people leader, I paid attention, right? But when I was advising, I was very focused on that front end side and not necessarily everything that was impacting people. So um I don't know if I came to it uh, intentionally. it definitely was an accidental aha moment, but it's been an incredible journey learning all these new things about uh the employee experience side which which I had no visibility in prior
1: yeah and that that makes a lot of sense to me and your latest book, the Experience Mindset, I think can help people shortcut that journey that you and so many others have taken from realizing, hey, customer experience, customer success is important, but it's really contingent on employee experience not being jeopardized or uh, hurt at the expense of that. So one thing, there's there's a great example. I've been listening to the audio book for that. And you talk about Ritz-Carlton as kind of the gold standard for great employee experience translating to great customer experience right some of the things that stuck out like employees can spend up to $2000 any employee can spend up to $2000 to resolve a customer issue if it's not resolved in 15 minutes you can you, that's when you can get extra help to resolve that issue it's it's really built around what i giving employees the infrastructure they need to support people so i guess my and, and please fill in any gaps if i'm missing that but why don't more people emulate this if there are models out there like this that exist on on how the two work together? Look, when
0: I started sharing the research, so it's about 18 months of research and then probably about 18 months or maybe about, that's probably not true, eight months of sharing it in executive roundtables. We were still, everybody was kind of very much locked down. So it was virtual roundtables. I probably did about 100, six, eight, 10 executives on each of them, cross-functional, right? Could be human resources, marketing, sales, customer success leaders. Uh, CIOs, et cetera. Um, And this, I heard this consistently. One, Tiffany, this is painfully obvious. But if it's so obvious, why isn't everyone getting it right? Right? So it is obvious. Uh, You may think you're doing better than you are. And let me walk you through the research to show you how and where the gaps are. The second was nobody owned employee experience. So If nobody owns it, like we were just talking about, right, the metrics and the comp and that drives behavior. But the other thing is if nobody's owning it and sort of setting strategy for it, then that means no, you know, if nobody owns it, nobody owns it, right? If nobody owns it, nobody's talking about it. And there's a very specific reason I called it the experience mindset, because this is not about a new leadership position or ownership or control. Or PL or headcount or budget. This isn't about capturing more sphere of influence internally for somebody. It literally is a mindset shift that if you're going to do something for the customer, you consider what are the implications to the employee. So the who owns it was the wrong question, right? But once I started to hear that a lot, I'm like, okay, I have to find a way to get out of the normal response when you start talking about things like this. Like, I started customer experience and I said 2008, there wasn't a chief customer experience officer. The CMO was not sitting at the executive table. They were tucked underneath the CEO or the COO. A lot of that changed and now there is the customer as a seat at the table. Well, does the employee have a seat at the executive table? And that was that ownership comment. So I had to find a way to not make it about ownership. And then the third one is, let's just hypothetically say I, ble- I believe you and I agree with you. What's the return? And so that's where we had to show that the effort would be worth the return where for customer experience, you know, you spend a dollar, you may say, if I spend a dollar, I get back 80 cents. Or if I spend a dollar, I get back a buck 20. Or what's the cost to acquire a customer or manage a customer or take a call center call? Like you have all this cost and return on investment on what you spend money on. How could I do that for this topic? Employee experience. Not retention or recruitment or onboarding, but just that experience layer. And that's why when we were able to show that companies that get that right, EX and CX, saw a 1.8 times faster growth rate. So for a billion dollar brand, it was a $40 million impact. And if you're not a billion dollar brand, you could do the math, right? The 1.8 times growth rate. We saw increase in employee sat and customer sat when the other one got better. And in one retail case study, we showed that we saw uh, a 50%, percent zero 0 percent revenue improvement per head, per store associate, when they improved employee experience. Those things got executives, very, you know, everyone leaned in, wait, what, what, like 50%, 1.8x? Okay, now I'm interested. So once I could answer those three questions, you know, and kind of get over it, but again, regardless of industry, size, or region, they pretty consistently were those three.
1: I uh, I always like hearing what people learn from their own research or writing a book where you went in with the hypothesis, hey, someone's got to own this. But you shifted that to be, this needs to be a mindset that everyone has, which, which feeds into my next question. Let's get tactical. What are, and you've basically shared some of these already, but what are a few best practices to take away from companies like Ritz-Carlton? that industrial companies or manufacturing companies could emulate to make sure they're getting this employee experience right and in turn customer experience right?
0: Well, the Ritz-Carlton story, as you, as you brought up, right, just that $2,000 as an example, uh, the sort of tagline was ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And so if we treat our employees like ladies and gentlemen who are serving our customers or ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't we have a better experience? So I heard it from Ritz-Carlton. I heard it from uh, um, Ginger Hardage from Southwest, like hire right, so you hire ones, right? And so looking for the right skill, the right capabilities, but also the right attitude. Like, so for example, if you're, if you're in manufacturing and you've got somebody who you need to run a plant, right, or a floor, what kind of personality do you want running that floor? Do you want someone who grew up on the floor, right, and has done all the jobs to now manage? Well, if you're going to do that, you better train them on how to be a manager. Because just because they worked on the floor as an individual contributor doesn't mean they then know how to manage. If it was someone from another industry who was a really solid manager and they could come in and they were good at listening and asking right questions and digging into processes and asking for feedback and looking at tools and the employees might be, well, they don't know my industry, they don't know our industry, but man, they really know how to just get the obstacles out of the way, allow me to do my job, I feel less stress, like that's a great person to hire. But if you only look in the same pool you always look, then maybe you miss out on the opportunity to bring in new skills. So, you know, I think the thing we need to think about is what best practices can manufacturing learn from other industries? What is applicable to what you do every day? Look, everyone wants to have joy in what they do. They want to feel capable. They want to feel um, trusted. They want to feel they're listened to. They want to feel that you care about them. I don't care what industry you're in, right? I mean, right. I mean, that's kind of the basics. So if you're not doing those things, how do you improve it? And so uh, I think you could take lessons from Southwest or Airbnb or Ritz-Carlton and then there's some cautionary tales in the book as well that you can learn from like uh, Volkswagen was a, was a cautionary tale about how a toxic culture can really get people to do the wrong behaviors, right? And when they do the wrong behaviors, everybody suffers, not only the customer, but the brand, the, the brand meaning the name Volkswagen, the, the rest of the employees. I mean, everybody was impacted. So I think there are all kinds of things you can learn out of industry by just saying, what was your last best customer experience? Why was it? Who was it? Who was the person? Why was it so great? And then look in your own company and be like, do my people feel like that person at their job? Because the fastest way to get customers to love your company is to get your employees to love what they do.
1: One thing I really like about that answer, and this is always fun when I have someone on that's learning about manufacturing happy hour for the first time, is that one of the common themes on this show and and our regular listeners out there will definitely know this. It's like, hey, how do we attract more people to the manufacturing industry? I think a lot of industries are asking this question as, as workforce issues are a challenge. But what you brought up on hiring as being one of the key solutions to pulling best practices, having the right attitude and looking outside of the industry to find it. If someone's a good listener, a good leader, they can absolutely create these employee-centric experiences that that you've talked about. So really appreciate you bringing that into to something that ended up coincidentally being a, a major theme on this show. Another question that came out of the book as I was listening to it was, why is there such a significant gap between how leadership or the C-suite feels employee experience is going versus how employees would rate? employee experience at that same company. That was something that jumped out as well. There's a bit of a disconnect there and I have some guesses as to why that's the case, but I'd love it if you can fill that in for us.
0: I almost want to start with your guesses.
1: Well, I see the game of telephone that results in something on the ground level not being good once it makes its way up through a few layers being thought of, oh, this is fine, this is great. That would that's my general answer to that.
0: Yeah, I'd say true. Well, I call it the coconut wireless. I'm from Hawaii. So it's kind of, you know, like the telephone game, coconut wireless. Um, some of it is that the executives, let me back that up. Undercover Boss is a great masterclass in the answer to this question. That how can leaders not actually know what's going on on their manufacturing floor or in their store, uh, you know, stockroom in the back, or their you know, kitchen in their fast food establishment, or in the trucks that their drivers have to drive every day, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the time, that happens because executives never leave their office, right? They run the business from a spreadsheet or from a dashboard, and they get the through the telephone game, right? The one pager that says how the business is this week, right? Green, yellow, red. Like, you know, this is green, this is yellow, this is red very quickly, I can see it, I can double-click if I want to learn, I see the numbers, great, everyone's got it. Are we all good? Yep, we're all good, okay, move on. But the green may be green because everyone's working twice as hard. It's green, but is it a good green? Like, even though you're growing, does it mean your employees are happy? Does not, because if you look across the landscape right now, there's three very large brands Um, where they are very customer centric, customer experience is super important to them. But right now they're having difficulty keeping their employees happy. And their employees are sort of trying to unionize, right, to get a little bit like, really, could you put some air conditioning in my truck? Like, it's great that the customer gets two hour same day delivery. But I have to go sit in traffic, you know, in 105 degree temperature with no You know, air conditioned, so I can hit that promise on customer experience. So, although green, right, we hit the two-hour delivery, our employees aren't happy. So, undercover boss spends whatever, five minutes in the beginning of the show putting hair and makeup on the on the executive so that you know they don't get recognized. They wouldn't get recognized anybody. They anyway, they never leave their office. So my advice to you would be, right, get out of your office. Whatever, go into the plant. Do what it is that your employees have to do every day. Use the systems, use the software, use the tool, use the iPad, use the iPhone, use the Toughbook, right? Use the everything and do one job. And you hear a lot of executives now, the CEO of you know Starbucks saying, "On two hours a month, I'm gonna go be a barista. I'm like, really? Like I'd spend <laughs> a, a day a week at one of them, right? And do everything clean, open the store, close the store, like, you know, order, do the stock room, like really spend time in the business and see what's going on, right? Or be a driver. Like, are you even licensed to drive a truck for the company you own, right? Like, go be a driver. So, you know, manage by wandering around, which is very much from Tom Peters, his book from 1982, uh, In Search of Excellence, uh, is, I am a firm believer of it today. So I think the gap happens. Because the space between the individual contributor and the executive
1: is just too wide. Yeah, management by wandering around, I think is a great way to describe it. I've, I've started describing things as, hey, whenever I'm in a leadership role, business leadership, management, whatever type of role that is, I want to avoid what I call ivory tower syndrome, right? Get out of the four walls of your office, your headquarters to really learn these things firsthand. I have another question around this. It's another leadership style question on this topic. You brought up um, Howard Schultz and Starbucks. And that's an example I want to talk to that as I was listening to to your book, it got me thinking, you know, I feel like CEOs are bringing brought in out of retirement to fix what are often customer experience and employee experience issues. I I think you said Howard Schultz has done this twice, once for customer experience, then for employee experience. Why do you sense this is happening, right? Is it, how do you transition that experience mindset maybe is the question that I have?
0: Yeah, and I'd say he's he's unusual, you know, in the sense that he came back and came back because he was a founder CEO. So, you know, coming back to just be like, look, you know, I sort of know what the heartbeat is here. Um, but I would say scale, growth are not great teachers, right? In the sense that well, we've been growing, we scale. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what city you are in the world. There's a couple where I don't find a Starbucks on every corner. Um, and, but not many. And, and you could say, and it's a pretty consistent experience regardless of where you are, but why it was always about the customer, right? It was always about the customer. And the pandemic in that particular example, all of a sudden took a business that was like 80% in-store and 20% mobile and kind of nothing drive-through to 100% drive-through, nothing in-store. And that was a complete transition to the people who had been doing the same kind of connecting with for a very long time. And so all of a sudden the systems and tools and processes couldn't handle the volume of drive-through and mobile orders. And there was no way, you know, is a table outside and you can't go in and get it, you know, that it's stores closed. There is no drive-through in some, you know, let's not even have sit down anymore. We're just going to switch it to all drive-through. I mean, there was a lot of things that sparked, you know, the fact that all of a sudden employees in that particular establishment, right, were burning out and just it was, It was. they were just overworked, if you will. And so uh, the pandemic has been this catalyst for us to know more, but I also see, unfortunately, people going back to the old habits. Like the pandemic's behind us, we don't need to do that anymore. And we see that in everyone has to come back to the office. Like that's a great example, right? Or do you think people are just gonna forget about mobile orders and drive through at Starbucks or now is it gonna be more 50-50? And if it's going to be more 50-50, do stores start to look different? Is the staffing model looking different? Is the hours of operation going to be different? Like, do you have to retrofit all the stores differently? I mean, those are the kinds of questions uh, that you need to ask, but you can't ask them unless you are taking care of the employee. You can't just ask it in the eyes of the customer. You have to ask it for both. So I think as more high-profile CEOs and more... Uh, well-known brands navigate these issues. More people will go, "Huh, I wonder if it's happening here. Maybe I should think about that." And so, do I think they'll start using experience mindset as a as a as a terminology? Probably not. But if they pause and just maybe make a different decision, and they read the book, then then I was successful.
1: We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by ePlan. Now, I've known about these folks for years. ePlan provides software and service solutions in the fields of electrical engineering, automation, and mechatronics engineering. But I just got to know them a whole lot better when I featured their international solutions architect, Sean Mulheron, on episode 132. We talked about all things apprenticeships, travel, and data-driven panel design. And I'm going to focus on that last one for a second. Eplan plan develops one of the world's leading design software solutions for machine, plant, and panel builders. So if you want to start designing your panels for troubleshooting and ease of use so that your control panels are easy to navigate years after the panel is built, you need to check them out. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com eplan or hear all about it from Sean in episode 132. And now, back to today's episode. You've brought a lot of great commentary, insights, and specific examples to today's episode. As we get to the end of our interview, this is a fun question for anyone that's recently written a book. And and you kind of answered this earlier. You mentioned how you went into the book with the hypothesis that someone would need to own employee experience. I want to ask you directly, though, what's something else that surprised you about Customer experience and employee experience when you were researching and writing this book?
0: Well, I said sort of nobody owns it. So I said that that was one. Uh, Two, a majority of companies survey their employees, pretty much everybody, right? We'll survey their employees in some way once a year, twice a year, quarterly. We were doing it a lot more often during COVID. um, And now that's one of the areas of getting back to the bad habit. I'll just survey once a year. Um, I don't think that's a good strategy. Um, That even though we're surveying, majority of companies don't know what to do with the data. That one surprised me. Like we're surveying, we're capturing, we're not doing anything with the data. Like that has so many things, red flags for me, right? So that one was a big one. Um, And the the last one was around tech and it's not lost on me. Obviously I work at Salesforce, but these three stats, one, 52% of the C-suite believe that the technology they're using in their organization is working effectively. That means 48% don't believe it's working effectively. 32% of employees agree with that statement. So now we have a 52 to 30, we have a 20 point gap between the C-suite and the employee. But the one that's really troubling, only 20, 20% of customer facing employees agree that their tech, that the tech they're using is working effectively and helping them collaborate more seamlessly. 20%. So if you're trying to do anything in your business, your customer-facing resources do not have what they need. And that doubles down into processes, data silos, you know, group silos, uh, lack of integration between tools. Just think about, let's go back to what we were just saying, go sit in the call center, go work in the manufacturing plant. How many systems do they need to log into to do their job in a given day? And if they are not integrated, and if you're listening to this and you're in an enterprise, you have an average of a thousand applications in your enterprise, 1000, 27% of them are integrated. Who bears the brunt of that lack of integration? Employees. So those are probably the big ones, right? No one owns it, capturing survey data, doing nothing with it. And then third, that we have a huge gaping hole between what employees need from technology and what the executives think is actually happening.
1: So let's flip this then. I mentioned at the start of the conversation when you and I were chatting that for many industrial companies, for many manufacturers, uh, a customer success function is something that's new for a lot of these organizations. So based on all this knowledge that we have now in hindsight, If someone is really just trying to get this function of their organization up and running, what would be your tips to them for getting started or for taking it to the next level?
0: First thing I'd say is if you have a customer service department now and you just say, you know what? I've been listening to Chris for some time. We are going to rename that team customer success. Check. That is a bad practice, not a best practice, right? If you don't change anything other than the name, you've missed an opportunity to really do something that would have meaningful impact to both your customer service, customer success people and your customer. So I'll ask this one question. Is your call center viewed as a cost center or viewed as a way for you to improve the likelihood of success for your customers using your products and services? If it is the former, leave the name customer service. If it is the latter, we're on the right path to customer success, right? We have five core tenets here at at Salesforce, five values. One of them is customer success. And I'm just going to give you that one. That if our customers aren't successful, we're not successful. We're in a recurring revenue business. If they're not successful and they go away, guess what happens? (laughs) They go away from us too, right? So, we want them to be successful so much so we want them to grow because if they're hiring 10 people a year collectively across all of our customers, that's 10 more seats, you know, that we are able to sell them. Let's hope everyone's really successful because if they're successful, we're successful. Our goal is to create successful customer companies using our technology, right? So, That philosophy and the other thing is, is that experience mindset is an operating philosophy. It's not a strategy, right? It's not a tactic. And I think customer success is the same thing. It is a philosophy, not a group, not a name. It is a philosophy. If you're in manufacturing and more customers are successful using your products and services, they will either buy more because they're growing or they will talk about your stuff more often with other like-minded people, or they may go start another business and use your stuff again. I mean, there's so much goodness in the flywheel of getting customer success right. But if you think just changing the name is all that's neat, oh, well, customer success is just customer service. It's the name of 2023. Not really, because customer success has been around longer than that. But let's just say, right? It's so ten years ago, mm. but if you just change the name, it take me three or four minutes to realize you just changed the name. That I don't see any real difference in that philosophy of how you approach success for your customers.
1: Yeah, I think a way that resonated with me when I had this conversation before is customer support, customer service usually implies re- apply, like implies reactive. Versus customer success is a proactive, how do we help someone be wildly successful with our product solution technologies?
0: I take it one step further. So it's reactive, which is kind of 2000s, let's call it, right? 2000s, we started with the internet, we were kind of, we were at reactive mode still. Then we got to proactive, kind of in the 10s, 2010s, 2015s. I think now technology, we're in a much more predictive, behavior where we are predicting what our customers may want next in a product proactive way, but just not a proactive reach out, but it's actually predicting people who buy this may also buy that, right? Or people in this industry may do this. And I could see from the five other customers like them that they're more likely. So now I'm bringing value into the equation because of the predictive nature of it. So I'd take proactive just one step further now, especially with the vast conversations of AI?
1: Yeah, I I love that answer because manufacturers often think of analytics on the plant floor and there's like a reactive approach to it. There's a proactive approach and then there's a predictive approach to analytics out there. So I love that you applied that to customer success as well. So, well, as as we get to the end of this conversation, is there any topic you wish I would have brought up That you want the manufacturing leaders out there to know before we wrap up this conversation?
0: Um, probably around measurement. I think that's the other one that I hear quite often, right? How do I, how do I measure it? Because some of the stuff sounds soft and some leaders don't like that. That if you can't kind of see it, touch it, feel it, measure it, I can't do it. And so just take a very quick, you know, list of what you do for customer and make sure that you have a similar list for employee. Something really basic. Net promoter score for customer, do you have one for employee? Customer satisfaction, do you have employee satisfaction? Customer effort, do you have employee effort? Whatever it is, right? Whatever it is. Attrition of, of, of customers, attrition of employees, like whatever the metrics are, you know, that's an easy way to just go, am I off balance? And if you have a customer advisory board, do you have an employee advisory board? Like it will never be 50-50. It will never be perfectly balanced, but let's just get it a little bit better. That's probably the one thing that it's usually the, I heard you, I listened to this, you know, listen to Chris and Tiffany talking. What do I do Monday morning? And sometimes people who listen will think, wow, this is overwhelming. It's a big project, millions of dollars, lots of time. I don't have the time. It's going to take me two years to fix it. Like these little quick fixes um, go a long way for you to understand where you're starting from and where you want to go to. But more importantly, your people, your people who work for you and for your organization will really appreciate the effort. If you do it, you do it consistently, you do it in a transparent way um, and, and highly communicative, uh, it, you will all be better for it.
1: Well, we talked a lot about mindset today, and a lot of the people that listen to this show, being in manufacturing, have an engineering mindset, a measurement mindset. So I appreciate you adding that here at the end of the interview. One one last fun thing I'll add, the the one thing that maybe not surprised me per se, but I thought was interesting as I was listening through your book was one of the, it was just a real quick comment, but I'm curious, were you surprised to learn that Nordic countries and Australia and New Zealand were one of the only places in the world, I think the only places in the world where employees felt EX was more important than customer experience. So prioritizing employee experience over customer experience. What did you think of that?
0: Yeah, India as well. And it, it, it's, it, that is definitely just cultural, right? That is just cultural. Um, the ASEAN, APAC, ANZ region Uh, has always been extremely customer centric, but they are all about the people as well. Now you may say, I'm listening to this, not in their manufacturing, like, you know, child labor or low wages or et cetera. I I hear you, like, you don't need to drop me a note. I know it's not perfect, Um, but I would say the intention is there, especially in industries like hospitality, as an example, uh like in in Japan it's like the customer is god it's literally a saying um but the people are then empowered to do what is necessary to get the customer everything they may need so i think there are things to be lear- learned from the cultural differences that that are uh, outlined uh in the book um and and some of them were consistently at the bottom like consistently at the bottom of the categories we we were surveying consistently at the middle and kind of consistently at the top. And so that's where you start to make sweeping assumptions. It's a cultural thing, right? It's the way businesses actually view the customer and the employee can be governmental, right? The way that they, it might be healthcare for everybody is very different than in the U.S. where that is not the case. So, so I think some of it, some of it was cultural, which again, a huge learning for me as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I learned a lot from the book. I've learned even more from today's conversation as well. And for those out there that are interested, the experience mindset, I'll have a link to it over at the show notes page, how to connect with you as well, Tiffany. Check it out. It's helped me reframe my thinking. And with that, Tiffany, I just want to say thank you so much for jumping on the show today.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. Fun conversation.
1: Hey, thank you all for listening. If you want to check out Tiffany's new book, The Experience Mindset, well, hey, head on over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 144 to pick up your copy today. As I mentioned, I was listening to it on audiobook, but if you can, I'd recommend picking up a physical copy. There are a lot of helpful diagrams within that book that, hey, you just can't really reference those when you're doing an audiobook. So grab the physical copy if you can. I love the audio book. If that's your go-to, don't hesitate to do that. One way or another, if you liked this episode and you want to take a deeper dive, that book is a great way to do it. Before we wrap up, you know, at the beginning of the episode I mentioned, I had learned a lot from Tiffany even before doing this interview, and, and I had actually written out and summarized some of my takeaways around customer success that I heard from Tiffany in her keynote. So, I mean, I'll share a few of those with you before we finish this episode since you've made it this far. I mean, the first thing I'll say is there's an obvious customer success gap in the market today and in the industrial space. Tiffany shared a pretty powerful stat that 75% of companies think they're customer centric, while only 30% of customers actually agree with that. And some of Tiffany's advice on how companies and I'll say industrial companies specifically can start closing that gap is by a creating hyper personalized experiences for your customers. B, connecting the physical and digital worlds that you engage in, and then C, engaging with customers in real time. That was one of my most powerful takeaways. If that gap between what we think is customer success and what is actually taking place is so big, those are a few ways you can start to close that gap. Second, there are only a handful of proven ways to maintain relationships at scale. And here's some of the ones that jumped out at me. Sending feedback on the selling experience. I mean, hey, get that type of feedback. Put that into your process. It involves active listening, which is another tip. Active listening and translate that into follow-through and accountability. So take what your customers are saying. Put that into your process. Then finally, value-based communication. It's not just reaching out when issues come up. That's customer support. But being proactive communicators to help customers proactively succeed with your industrial solutions. then finally, if you don't have a formal customer success function, hey, you need to create that now. I work with industrial companies, manufacturers, distributors, the, the whole gamut, right? This is just a personal takeaway, but one thing Tiffany had said was, hey, eight out of 10 sales reps say closing deals is not enough to be successful. So who's gonna take responsibility For everything else that I just listed out, right, a salesperson needs to be going to close deals. So you need a customer success function to really be taking advantage of that proactive communication, helping customers succeed with your solutions after they've bought them. That was my big takeaway. So it's crucial not to just have people prospecting for new opportunities, closers that are closing the deal. But hey, you need a customer success team to maintain those existing relationships and naturally enhance the things you can share with your customers. So those were a few of my lessons from Tiffany. Hope you gained a lot in this episode as well. We're going to be closing out this episode here in a second. I do want to thank ePlan for sponsoring this episode. And I do want to ask you, the listener, if you did learn something from today's conversation, please share that on LinkedIn and include a link to today's episode. Again, show notes page is manufacturing slash one forty four. With that, thank you one more time for taking the time to listen. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll see you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.